Welcome to the Beyond the Bucket Show, a podcast centered around optimizing all lives' buckets. We all have buckets we are balancing, coaching, entrepreneurial ventures, family, passion projects, and health. Let's all take this journey together and become bucket fillers. And here's your host, Chris McSwain. Welcome back to Beyond the Buckets. I've got another fantastic guest for us, all the way from Colorado, a man of many, many different traits and platforms and uh, just all around good dudes. So Justin Wilson, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, my man. I like the intro. <laughs> yeah, I should have read my notes on your uh, bio, but uh, for those that don't know Justin Wilson, he is a former collegiate basketball coach, uh, former player as well. And uh, now he's doing his entrepreneurial ventures out in Colorado. But uh, why, before we start and get to you know all the things that you've done in your life, why don't you tell us a fun fact about yourself, Justin? Oh, fun facts. God, it feels like a job interview. Yeah, it might be. Uh, it might be. <laughs> um, fun facts. Uh, yeah, I'm... That's a pretty cool one that I don't think so many people have done. <laughs> say that again. I cut out on my end, but say it again. Oh, I've been bobsledding in, in Austria. Oh, okay. That is the uh, first on Beyond the Buckets. Bobs <laughs> bobsledding in Austria. What continent is Austria in? Well, it's in Europe. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what took you there? Yeah, just uh, when I first got out of coaching, um, I swore, kind of made a promise to myself that I was going to leave the country at least once every 12 months. And uh, I would just plan a trip and throw it out to a couple of people. And uh, every time somebody jumped on. Um, and so, yeah, was just out there with a good buddy of mine. And uh, we spent about, about two weeks just kind of bouncing around hostels. And yeah, we did just about everything, everything from Amsterdam to Austria. To, we did New Year's in Prague. It was a great time. Were you married with kids then or no? No, absolutely oh, okay. not. I was about to say, that sounds like a, sounds like a single guy trip. That was, that was definitely the single years, yes. Was that the first, second, or third time uh, that you were done coaching? Because you got, kept getting back into it. <laughs> That's true. Um, I feel like though, this is the only time I've really been done. Because as soon as I left the first time, you sucked me right back in. I was supposed to take a couple of years off. But... Um, yeah, that was, that was as soon as I left Pacific. So, uh, I went from, uh, I finally made a little bit of decent money and, and could travel with my free time. So I took advantage. For sure. So those that don't know, you, uh, played at Chico state and coached there. And then you also coached at UOP as well as UC Irvine. Uh, was there any stops that I missed? You coached high school too, I believe at Westmont. Yeah. Did you? Westmont. Um, yeah, I never had just helped out there. Yeah. Yeah. Did I miss any, uh, did I miss any spots? Uh, helped out with a couple junior colleges, a couple junior highs. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much every level at <laughs> one time or yeah. another. We 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 stumbled into each other at the uh, at the Final Four in San Antonio, yep. and uh, right after that, I soon as soon asked you to uh, come work for Top Flight and coach and kind of be a director and run programs and all that sort of stuff. So we'll we'll kind of get into that, but why don't we give like a three yeah. minute backstory on you? Where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Um, and what kind of led you to where you're at right now? Yeah, um, yeah, grew up in the Bay, Campbell, uh, California. Um, 
and just knew. I think I fell in love with basketball around third grade. Uh, spent all day at the the school across from my house. Um, over the summers, I'd I'd get up about nine a.m. My mom would make me some breakfast that had everything she could throw into some pancakes or some waffles, and I would disappear until midnight uh, and just play ball all day with whoever showed up. Uh, and yeah, that was that was the majority of my childhood. Um, you know, basketball was just kind of a release and an escape and a way for me to connect with people. And uh, I think it's remained that through most of my life, even out here, um, was able to, before we even moved into our house, when we moved to Colorado, we were still living in a hotel, uh, was able to find a good pickup game on Sundays. That was like priority number one. And I've been with that same group every Sunday, uh, since we've been out, it's just a good group of guys and, uh, you know, help each other with business, all that. Like it's, it's just, uh. Yeah, basketball has kind of always been um, an easy way to connect with people and kind of find yeah, fellow travelers, I guess. Yeah. So after high school, tell me what you did. Um, did you go directly to Chico State? Yeah. So I uh, graduated Westmont, went to Chico. Um, not a lot of my friends went on to college, and uh, that was kind of the, the, the cheapest one that I could get into. Um, I don't know if kids even have to pay for college applications anymore. You just do it online. But uh, I sent off one and if Chico didn't accept me, it was going to go off to Humboldt. Um, but fortunately got accepted out of Chico and uh, same thing, just just met a really good group of people out there. Um, it was really different from the Bay Area, uh, slower pace a little bit. And, um, you know, people was, was just kind of about connection. I'd never been anywhere where you just kind of have uh, yeah, groups of people looking to have fun and, uh, you know, still handle their stuff, but uh, just kind of focused on enjoying life. And um, that really was something that kind of, it, it made me, I'd had the same group of friends since like fifth grade or my freshman year in high school. And when I went out to college, I didn't know anybody, um, not even somebody that I knew and didn't like, like didn't have a single name. Uh, and that was a good thing for me, forced me to open up a little bit and come out of my shell and, and meet some new people. Yeah. Well, you've done a great job as far as cultivating relationships. And, and we met, I think, in 2001. We were both uh, we both had the opportunity to work for the city of Campbell doing the sports as well as basketball camps um, and also occasional lunchtime open gym run uh, where we may or may not have gotten into it. But uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was the first time that I met you. And that was the first time that I met Nate. And so from then, you know, we all we all kind of were cut from the same cloth, even though we grew up in the same area. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time. But while we were, I think you were finishing up college. So that was going to be your last year. Um, I think what, you graduated 99 high school. 98. 98. Yeah. yeah so I'm you, old, were, man. you were a few years older than a few years older <laughs> than, uh, than us, but like, you know, we bonded initially and we start, we worked together that whole summer, which was really cool. And then I think you, uh, either went back to coaching or, um, or started coaching at that time. So did you, once you were done with the sports camps, did you stay up in Chico and still, and go back and coach? Yeah. Got my, got my teaching credential, which is what I thought I was always going to do. Um, go and teach high school and, and coach a basketball team somewhere. Um, and was fortunate enough, I, I, when I was redshirting at Chico, I got in really close with the, uh, the coaching staff on the women's side and a lot of those players. And um, I started, uh, my first coaching job was uh, eighth grade girls uh, while I was doing my credential. And I had just finished uh, trying to play at Chico. 
Um, and somebody had asked me to, to coach the eighth grade girls team. And I was like, man, that's, that's so below me. I'm a, I'm a college athlete. Like I can't coach eighth grade girls. But it was right. a good friend of mine. And uh, I was like, you know, as a favor to you, I'll do it for one year. Um, and I just, I loved it. I was fortunate enough to have a really good group of parents, uh, and a really good group of kids that made the season really enjoyable. Um, and I stayed for a second year and, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to, uh, coach at a pretty high level and, and see some success there. And to this day, uh, and to all my TFE teams, don't, don't take offense, but to this day, one of my finest coaching moments was with that second year of that eighth grade girls team, uh, yeah, just just had some amazing moments with that team, and uh, and that's kind of when I knew I fell in love with coaching. Um, about after that year, I I thought I was gonna I did move up and help the varsity team uh, at Chico High while I was finishing my credential, um, and then thought I was gonna move back to the Bay and uh, and start teaching. And um, the Chico State women's team was looking for some help, and I I jumped on there, uh, and I kind of kind of was at a crossroads where I was trying to decide whether going to teaching or going to coaching. I uh, knew I couldn't do both um, and give them both the time and energy that they deserved. And uh, I really kind of sat down and thought about it. And I was like, you know, if I could, if I could run a tryout for my history class and bring in like my top 12 kids and work with them all year, maybe teaching would have the same impact, but um, that's just not how it goes. You're dealing with 300 kids and you just, it's really hard to build those types of relationships. And so I went with coaching and, um, yeah, it's taken me on a pretty good path. For sure. Um, when you were talking about the eighth grade girls team, one of my first coaching opportunities outside of the city of Campbell, the little kids leagues, was they asked a, a bunch of us, it was the off season, if we wanted to coach a seventh grade girls basketball team up in Oregon. And that was my first time being a head coach, but we were in a small town and then we would go, we have to go kind of travel. So we had to travel to Pendleton, Oregon to play this team. And there was this young girl that was killing us, absolutely dogging us. Like she was one of the coldest things I had ever seen. And I'm like, what is going on here? Come to find out years later, she ended up playing at Louisville. So I think her name was Shoni Schimmel. Is that the, uh, does that make? That sounds familiar. Anyway, she was number 23 for Louisville, probably in the mid, mid 2010s, uh, around that time. Um, and she was a killer. She was a killer, killer, killer. Even at age 13, I think she put up 50 of the 55 points that they had. We were the worst team out there. Like, we were horrible. Like the kids could barely, it was like bad news bears type of deal. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it. And then, you know, obviously I continued to coach the, the Campbell rec camps until I had to get a real job. But then you go right into high school basketball coaching. And I went back to Del Mar and started coaching there. And then from there, Del Mar to Monta Vista, Monta Vista to Lee, Lee to Valley Christian. And, you know, 20 years later, you look up and it's like, wow, that was that was a crazy run. Because yep. I really I started coaching basketball in 2004 over at Del Mar and I stayed there uh, for a long time. And then it just, it just goes by so fast. I can't believe it's 20 years later that I've been coaching. Um, and just to see the level of players that we've been able to see too, whether it be high level women's basketball players, which you've seen uh, multiple different levels, whether it be in the club, you've seen, or you've seen pros multiple times play 
against or in the same tournament. So it's just a, just a, been an awesome experience and it's been all basketball and that's been basketball related. And, and then I think we, we caught up, what year was that? Maybe it was like, Oh, four. Excuse me. Maybe like, Oh, eight. Yeah, it was probably, I left, uh, no, cause left top, around 2010. Top, no, no, no. It, it had to be like around 2012 then actually, yep. cause top flight started in 2010. 10 yeah, on the shirt. There you go. Hey, <laughs> uh, I might need to send you a new one because it's looking a little old. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it must have been 2012. And then I seen you like randomly. My cousin was playing in the f- women's final yep. four out in San Antonio. I'm just perusing the streets because I had my mom and my aunt, and, and that was basically it. So I'm just walking up the streets and I see a familiar person like, what's going on? And you're like, hey man, what's up? I was like, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm at the final four. What are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to yeah. look for jobs. And I was <laughs> like, and I was like, huh, well, maybe, you know, if he wants to, and I think you had just moved back to the area. Yeah at that time but uh yeah so i kept that in the back of my mind and i'm like i'm gonna hit him when we get back and so I hit you, <laughs> and you came back and and then uh you ended up going to uc irvine after that uh yeah. but then there was there was another stop that you had before right after you left top flight i feel like or was that going to coach college again no that was uh yeah because i i coached with y'all the the whole time i was in the bay then left for irvine for two years and then Came back and worked with you again for a little bit before we came out to Colorado. Gotcha. That's what happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talk about your experience coaching, you know, Division Two and Division One college basketball uh, on the women's side. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the the biggest thing that I I would try to convey to people that I think haven't kind of touched all the levels, I guess. Um, you know, I think everybody wants to keep moving up. Uh, if you coach in high school, you want to go to junior college. If you coach in junior college, you want to move to D2 or D3 or NAI or something like that. And if you're coaching at that level, you want to go to D1. And you can't really um, have a full perspective of, of what those levels are like until you've been at them, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I started in a junior high, coached college or coached high school, jumped to Division Two. We went to the Final Four in Division Two. jumped to Division One, um, And... The biggest thing I think I learned when I finally got there um, was a lot of times the talent isn't very different. Uh, you kind of have to just be a certain size level to be Division One as a separator from Division Two. There's a lot of guys that are just as talented, a lot of girls that are just as talented as Division Two. There's not the same size. Maybe not as much on the women's side because if you're talented enough, you can make that jump. But there's a lot of guys Division Two that, uh, that just aren't the right size. Um, and it's just different. Like if I ever got back in to make coaching my profession, Division Two was the level that that I really enjoyed. And I think that's because those are the players that I related to the most. They have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, you know, they're gonna go hard all the time. Like it, Division One, you you get. I'm not saying this across the board, but you get a lot of people that they've played basketball their whole life because they've been good at it, uh, not necessarily because they love it. And maybe because their parents have been pressuring them. And we got a lot of players that would come in as freshmen. And that was their first time kind of out from the the pressure of their parents pushing them to do everything. And you could tell that they fell out of love with it real quick. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that goes into recruiting, too. And that's totally changed with NIL. Like, uh, it's, a, it's a different game right now. And I don't, I don't envy my friends that are still in it. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's the – 
the biggest perspective is is really don't just chase the next step. Really think about the level that you want to be at. Uh, like I said, I, I've done every level in my one of my fondest moments is eighth grade. So, uh, you know, if you're in love with it, uh, you know, it's it's the connections and it's it's just using basketball as a medium to connect with people. Um, that's what's most powerful about it. That's what's kept me close to the game all these years. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And um, somebody asked me yesterday, actually last night, you know, what do you like most about your job? And I said, honestly, it's not work because I really enjoy it. So coaching and teaching and, uh, you know, running businesses and things like that, it's not really work. It's enjoyable. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be difficult times when you do it. Because there's difficult times no matter what. I mean, you could think of, you know, if you've ever won a championship, it was never like super easy for anybody to do that. If you've, if you've ever made a big sale in a business or if you've ever, um, you know, if you're an artist and you finally create this work of art, it was not like it was easy. It was very difficult to be able to do what you did, but you got to find you have to find like some some solace in the fact that I really enjoy this. I love this process that I'm going to do every single day, no matter what. And nobody can take that from me. They can't take my joy. Like we watched a video today. Uh, Caitlin Clark was talking. I, I try to show our team a video uh, almost every single day, but like she's been going a lot more viral because she's going to be the one of the first players to ever, 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 ever. This is crazy to have 3,500 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. She might even get to 4,000 because she's just under 3,500 right now. So if she finishes out the season as well as gets, you know, I think she's like 700 points away. But for her, that's actually not that not, not yeah. that hard. You know, because she, if she's getting 30 a game, you know, how long does it take? Like, in three games, she got 100. Yeah. <laughs> she got 33. She got three games, she got 100. Um so like finding finding that joy in the hard moments in the in the good moments that's really what really what matters and i think the people that have chased the level they don't really understand that because they're only chasing this carrot that is never ever going cuz if you go to let's say you go division 1 let's say you go to San Jose State well a lot of those San Jose State players are looking to try to go to Stanford or Cal and the people that are at Stanford or Cal they might want to go to Duke or North Carolina and the people at Duke or North Carolina may want to you know, go to the go to the next, which is obviously the NBA. But it's really difficult to be in those positions, and those positions are only for the very, very select few. Yep. And people don't really realize all of that. But finding your passion in the the monotony of the day to day and enjoying that. And so, I, I love the day to day of everything of every everything. Some days you hate it, but yep. overall, you gotta you gotta remember why you started. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's everything. You know, I. I I've usually worked with uh, with friends in, in coaching and business. Um, and when I came out to Colorado, didn't have uh, any connections out here. Was just looking for a job and and fell into Guild um, and got in at the ground level, despite you know having a ton of experience. But I don't have that resume that's linear. Um, and and fell into a role and then was able to promote and started managing a team there. And the reason I bring it up is the the crossover between. 
the best coaches are really culture builders. You, you, your knowledge of X's and O's is really third, fourth, fifth down the list. If you could build a good culture, uh, you won't have to be right in your play calling. Or, or I mean, you can get a lot of things wrong if your kids are going to go hard for you. Um, and I found that that was the same in business. I was I was fortunate to be able to kind of handpick a team and build that out. And I got it to 12, which is ironically enough about the same size as a basketball team. Um, and and we crushed everybody else in the department. Like it was, uh, and it, it wasn't because I was the most knowledgeable about the job. I had done it, same as basketball. And I, I treated my people with respect and I built a culture where they wanted to be elite, even in what's essentially a call center. Um, so it, it's just translatable to anything, that skill set. And that's, you know, my friends that have, have just been coaches and are so worried about what they would do if they got out. If, if you've had any level of success in coaching basketball at any level for an extended period of time, you're going to be successful uh, jumping out into anything because it's just you do a little bit of everything as a coach. Yeah. Um, and all those skills translate. And it's essentially leadership because people, there's more people that want and need to be led than there are leaders. And that's why leaders are always in high demand. They are always the, the, the higher paid. They are always in, in demand because of the leadership qualities. Um, and then, and then you can think about the lack of leadership as well. How many, how many people are actually lacking in their leadership and not able to run an organization, run a program, or even like run a family because their leadership skills are lacking? And I think that is something that, you know, we as basketball coaches or former athletes, we have that quality. And you have to be confident the same work that you put in to become a basketball coach is not the same like work. Oh, I have to learn. I'm, I'm going to learn how to beat this three, two zone or whatever the case may be. No, it's whatever that business entails. That's what you need to do. So you need to learn that business inside and out. And then you need to learn your people inside and out. Just like as coaches, we got to learn the X's and O's first. Then we got to learn how to deal with people and how to put them and place them in positions that that's going to make them successful. And it doesn't mean that those positions that we put them in are going to be the ones they want. It's just the ones that are most needed for us as a team to be successful. And probably the same thing with you and your staff of 12. Some people might not want to want to do this at this time, but for the whole organization, it's going to make us much more stronger because that's your strong suit. If you ask me to, to, to be super detailed about something that I'm really not great at, I'm probably going to lack in it. And if I lack in it, the whole group is going to lack in it. But if you give me a specific task, a specific role, and I'm able to, to execute on that, then that is that is putting somebody in a, in a right position to succeed. Um, and then, you know, you've heard this too. There's two things. Either you aren't capable of doing it or you just don't want to. Or or three, you don't know how, and now I'm going to teach you how, and then you're now hopefully capable to do it. So, Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if you've got it, if you've done the work, you've got a good team, and you know people are bought in, uh, it's taking that responsibility. Like if, if my team's not performing – and I know they're capable and I know they're competent. The problem's probably me. Like I got to get out of the way or I got to add some more support somewhere. Or... So yeah, that, I think that level of responsibility. And honestly, I think that's the, the scariest thing uh, why most people don't get into leadership or are not successful when they get there is because when you, until you've been in that situation, you're always pointing the finger up. Right. Uh, and when there's nowhere else to point, 
<laughs> you got to take responsibility. You got to take some hard looks in the mirror. And that's, you know, I think for people like me and you, that's that's what we love about it because there's growth in those moments uh, where you got to sit down and be like, I, I messed up. or I got to figure out a solution or I got to, you know, uh, and, and until you've been in leadership roles where other people are responsible for you or you're responsible for the actions of other people, um, I, I think a lot of people don't ever get there. Yeah, for sure. And um, specifically as as coaches as well, you know, we got to stand in the suck a lot yeah. of the times, especially because now you're dependent on other people, whether you're coaching eighth graders, 14 years old, you're coaching high school between 14 and 18 years old, you're coaching college between 18 and 24 years old, or you're coaching pros, you know, 24 to 35 or LeBron's case, 39 years old, you are coaching like people, but you're dependent on people in most every other avenue. You can be dependent on yourself, and especially when you play a uh, a sport. First of all, even individual sports have people that help them, coaches, personnel that are going to try to 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 help them one way or the other. But in basketball, when you have all these people that you are coaching, like it's easy for one person to let it down and you have to stand with them when those things get difficult. And then you got to be the one to stand in the suck when it, when it feels like, man, we should have won this game. The team lost and you feel like everybody's looking at you. First of all, as coaches, like nobody's really looking at you like that. It's just a basketball game and they're going to, they're going to say whatever they're going to say one way or the other. And we just got to be able to move on. But like you said, you got to find solutions in all these situations. If we can find solutions, because a lot of people got problems. A lot of people got issues, but what are what are you doing to solve that? Okay, well we we can't we can't defend right now. Well, how do we solve that? And the simplest way is like keep your body in front of the basketball. Can we do that? Can we do that on a consistent basis? Now, when they start moving, okay, here's how you have to do that to keep that advantage and that leverage. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. Is that it's the interpersonal dynamic of teams? Like that's what takes you down. More than, you know, you, you got to be at a certain level skill wise, but it, it's how the team plays with each other, for each other, all that. That's what takes you to the next level. And, you know, my friends that are still in coaching, when we're, when we're having conversations, it's not, uh, it's never like, hey, what would this, these guys are playing a, a tricky 3-2 next week. What would you do about that? That's never a conversation. It's like, man, this is, this is what we got going on the team right now. This, we got these two groups fighting, like, yeah, like, that's coaching at every level. That doesn't go away as it goes up. Like uh, you just have to get better at, at mitigating that and and building a culture where, you know, ideally you get to the point where your players can hold each other accountable and you're not in the one in, in the mess every time. But yeah, I mean, it, embracing the suck, like there's, there's a lot of ups and downs and, you know, I'll be honest, I think part of what I found uh, after coaching for a while um, and I think, I think part of the attraction for coming to coaching club uh, was because this measurement kind of changed a little bit. Uh, but coaching at the college level a lot was like wins just kind of felt like you could breathe for 24 or 48 hours and the losses, man, they, they would wreck me until we got a win. Like I'd be in a foul mood for a week. Um, oh, no. And I definitely felt that coaching club, but you know, get into that so many games that you have and all that it's easier to let them go a little bit uh for better or for worse uh, and you know the highs 
don't go as high and the lows just get lower, it feels like kind of the longer you're in it. So the people that have been able to find success and longevity at that level, I got a lot of respect for them because they figured out how to handle that better. Better than I could. <laughs> yeah, and even the even the best coaches, they've had a lot of heartbreak over their yeah. Oh, yeah. over their time. It's really difficult to win, and just think about the coaches that we hold in such high acclaim. Coach Calipari won championship. He's been there a couple times. Bill Self, I think now he has three, but prior to that, he only had two. And then um, Michigan State, Tom Izzo, he only has one championship. He's still one of the best coaches yeah. ever. Tara yep. Vondervere, she only has three. She only has three. Yeah. Like that's crazy. You know, as good as a as good as a coach as she is. Um, and then most people don't have any. Mark Few, the winningest coach in college basketball history, wins 80% of his games. He doesn't have any. Now he could have had yeah. one. You know, Villanova walked uh either North Carolina or Villanova hit that game winner on him. But, uh, or on the Zags, but he hasn't won it. It's just, yep. it, it is agonizing. And yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things that I've tried to do is try to let that thing go because it doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. You lost a basketball game and I know you lost your, you lost your father as, uh, as well. I lost my mom, but once that happened, I started to think about more things that were important. Yes, was this game important because we put a lot of energy, time, and effort into it? Yes. But at the end of the day, it was a basketball game. It's not as serious as we actually – and it's the hard part is, like like tonight, I got a game. I'm going to be on the sideline coaching my rear end off trying to, trying to get us an opportunity to win. And, you know, you're talking to the officials and all that. So it's just like when you get, when you get in it – like you're in it, but as soon as that game is over, I've been trying to like decompress. I'll stay in the office like an hour after the game if it's a tough game, and then once I get out of there, I'm done with it. I got to move on. Sometimes I watch the film right away, but you got to move on. It's really not that serious because you can you can look back and say how many hours did I waste as a coach thinking about this game that really didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And you have coached hundreds of games at multiple different levels. None of them were a life and death situation. Some of them were fun. Others were not. And others you just don't remember. I don't even remember playing that team. But <laughs> most of the time we only think about the losses. It's rare that we think about the wins. And I think that's, that's one thing that we need to do a better job as individuals, as coaches. It's like, look, we need, to, we need to chill out and move on quickly. We're telling our players next play, well, we need to move on too. Because um, as soon as that night is over, we got to get to the next thing and find a solution the next day. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, we both kind of came up in that era. And, and you know, I think, I think it's changed a little bit uh, that there's a little bit more balance um, for people that are coaching now. And, but that, that's a big piece is that tool is being able to deal with it. And, you know, for me, once I had my daughter, like that was, I couldn't bring that home anymore. Like that's somebody I need to show up for every day. And so uh, it would be interesting if I were still coaching college, how that would look uh, and how I would have changed how I dealt with those things. But uh, I don't know, uh, you know, that was part of the only reason I, I, I wasn't athletic. I wasn't the only reason I was ever any good at basketball is because I was competitive. And it's not that you can't be competitive. It doesn't eat you up all day. But, uh, yeah, you get you get better as you gain more perspective as you get older. And I think that's why a lot of the most successful coaches have so much experience. It's exactly that. 
Uh, yeah. You don't ride the roller coaster as much anymore. You can you can put everything where it should be. One of the reasons why you were a capable basketball player is because you used to punch people in their kidneys. <laughs> <laughs> don't give away my trade secrets, man. <laughs> uh, that that, that the, works on and off the basketball On court. and off the court. <laughs> on and off the court. What were some of your what were some of your good moments that were off the court? Because as basketball coaches, one of the reasons why I continue to coach basketball is because it gives me an excuse to hang out with my friends on the road, hanging out in the hotels and different, um, you know, different venues, going out to dinner, hanging out. So that 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 to me is the the coach hang that I really enjoy and the camaraderie. And then we talk we talk good or bad about our teams depending on how the play went. Um, so talk to me about the off the court stuff with the coaches because I think that is just as important as being on the court and liking the people that you're doing it with. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's nothing brings, you know, like our days at, at Campbell Rec, man, nothing brings people together closer than shared suffering. Uh, and and that's, in some level, that's every basketball coach is a cynic in some way. Like you, you don't sit down for dinner with somebody and start talking about how great your team's doing. You're talking about some idiot who can't figure out the most simple play or whatever. Like, it's always that. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing I miss most, there's, there's three things that I miss most about coaching uh, when I kind of boil it all down. One, it's just, it's the games. Like, suiting up on a Friday night and putting your work out there for a crowd against another team that's been spending all week trying to beat you. Like, you don't replicate that anywhere else. Like, that's that's special. Like that just gets the juices flowing in a different way. Uh, and then the relationship with your players, like again, basketball is just kind of a medium for connection, but there's, there's something different about it. Like just all being in the same boat, pulling the same way. Like, again, it's just really hard to create. Um, and then what you just mentioned, just those the being on the road recruiting, like back when I started, I took 17 flights in 14 days, uh, just, on the road recruiting in July and you're just kind of bouncing into different friends and different small towns, sitting in gyms all day until your butt hurts. Like, uh, and it's, it's fun. It's miserable, but it's fun. Uh, and I, that's definitely a piece that I miss. Uh, Cause yeah, again, it's just, it's just the relationships and that connection. Yep. And all three of those outside of the, the game day on the sideline, uh, the two of the two of the three are relationship based, and you know that's what a lot of this stuff comes down to is being in relationship with people, spending time with people that have a shared interest or a shared goal, and then reminiscing about those things that may come into place later on. I'm sure you have some of your old TFE kids who are now grown grown adults that um, still reach out to you. Probably Nick Grassman uh, comes to mind and. <laughs> You started with him and when he was in fourth, uh, fourth or yeah. fifth grade, and yeah, yeah. now he is either graduating or graduated college from Gonzaga, yep. which uh, which is pretty crazy. Um, and he, you know, had a good high school basketball career. One of the most skilled kids. He would just happen that you know not be that tall, but that's a kid that if he was six foot five, you know, everybody would know who he is. He would have been a high major type of player because he was that skilled as a young kid. Um, I even look back at some of those videos that he would do. It was incredible, you know, at 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 age 10, 11, what he could do with the ball. And, you know, he didn't get that much taller. And that was really, like you said earlier, I think 
you know, it's just a tall person sport, you know, and you can find people that are way more skilled, but if somebody's six foot nine and somebody's five foot 10, you're going to take the five foot, not, not never take the five foot 10 guy. Like as much as I love Steph Curry, if it really came down to it and you said you're taking Steph or Durant, you got one game. I might still probably take Steph just because I love I love his game and I love what he stands for, but I would say the majority of people about to take KD. Or if it was between Steph and Braun, I'm definitely taking Braun probably. Like just being honest as a basketball person, I'm probably taking Braun. Even though Steph head-to-head is, has won in those games, you probably – like your mind can't get around – I'm not not taking this dude because of the way that he can control the game in so many other ways. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it was the first thing when we jumped to Pacific uh, for my first D1 job. That was the first thing I wanted to do was get in and watch some of the guys' practices too. You know, see how they coach, but see the players. Um, and that was that was really what stood out to me the most. Was like, wow, these these guys aren't next level from what I just saw the last five years at Chico on the men's team. They, but they're bigger at every position. They're more athletic at every position. Uh, and yeah, you know, and then that, that obviously raises the ceiling when you, when you pair skill with that athleticism by year four, they're usually a better player all around, but not always. And that's definitely what, what affects recruiting the most. Yeah, for sure. As Jordan would say, the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so did you prefer coaching men or women or it didn't really matter for you? You know, good question. I uh, I think I preferred coaching women um, only for this, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble with this, but I think guys, especially by the time they've hit college, they all think they're going pro. I don't care where, NAIA, D3, D2, like they all think they're going next level. Somebody just passed them over or whatever. And so I feel like to coach at that level, kind of your first step is breaking them down and then building them back up. Um and women, this is a whole nother discussion because this, uh, I wish this wasn't how it is. But again, and I'm speaking generally, but I think women are less confident in their ability when they come in. And so from the start, you're just building them up. Uh, and that suits my coaching style better. Uh, right. I'm not, I coached under like some hard ass coaches. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that's how you get the best out of your players. I think I found that coaching on the women's side. And then I was happy when I came back and was coaching uh, for top play uh, that I was able to take that style to the men's side uh, and was met with a lot of success. And I, you know, I wasn't at a high standard, but I'm not going to be barking at you on the side. I'm going to, I'm going to get to know you out of sight of practice. Like I really think the, you know, it's the quote we've all heard, but uh, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, I think that sums up good coaches. You have right. to care. It does, doesn't mean you got to be best friends. I didn't like everybody I ever coached, uh, but I cared about them as people. Um, and I think everybody that's ever played under me knows that. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I think about when it comes to men and women is men need to battle and then the bonding comes. Because if I battle you and I know you're a dog and I'm a dog, well, I got a lot more respect for you because we bumped and – I didn't back down. You didn't back down. Whether I got the best of you, you got the best of me, didn't really matter. But I know if it comes down to it, you can get to it. And so can I. 
And so mm -hmm. you battle first and then you bond. For women, I think it's on the other side where you have to bond first and then you battle together. And that bonding piece uh, is is very key in coaching boys high school for the first part of my coaching career and now coaching women uh, for the second half of my career, you would sit, think that I'm a completely different coach. Um, and I'm still the same person, but the way I approach things are a lot different. And the bonding part is very important. Like you said, talk to them, you know, before, after practice, get to know them and them get to know you bring, if you have a family, bring them around your family, let them see you with your kids. I bring my kids around all the time because they need to see what a real, real dad looks like a real good marriage looks like because they may or may not have that at home. They may or may not have had that uh, that sort of support system at home. And they need to see that their their coach cares about them outside of just the game of basketball because, you know, most of them aren't going to be playing Division One. Some of them will be playing Division One. Some of them will be playing in college. But as far as the high school goes, a lot of them, their last game is going to be their senior year um, whenever the playoffs end. And, and so when you look at that, me as a coach, I was only concern, concerned about winning, 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 probably like the first two, three years. But now it has morphed to experience, experience, experience. If you have a good experience in our program, then I've done my job. If we've taught you life lessons through the use of basketball, then I have done my job or we as a staff have done our job. If we win, that's just a byproduct of the work that we put in and the talent that we had to go with it because everybody's working hard. Everybody's working hard. All the coaches are probably putting in the same amount. Of, well, I can speak for our league. We're probably all putting in the same amount of time. And if you're putting in more, you know, maybe you don't have a family or something like that. But I would say all the coaches are probably doing around the same amount of work for each one of these games. So if that is the case, we are still going to try to win every single opportunity that we have. But at the same time, it's about the experience and, you know, yelling at them and screaming at them. Now there's times that that happens, no doubt, but yeah. that, that may be 5% of the, of the time. The other 95 are trying to cultivate these relationships to, to make sure that they understand where they're at. And uh, that doesn't mean you can be soft at all because that's not soft. It's actually, nope. it's actually more of a, a, a power, power move to be able to look at something different because it's been done a certain way for so many years. And nope. now you're not going to be able to get to these kids the same way. So we can't have the same coaching that maybe we we grew up with or that our coaches grew up with. We have to change. We can't say, oh, these kids these days. No, we have to be the change. It's nobody else. It's it's us um, because the kids aren't changing and the technology isn't changing. It's actually getting, you know, crazier with all the stuff that they have now. Yep. Yeah. And it's it's a good thing. Like, you know, when I think back to the the hard coaches that we had growing up when you're younger, like, sure, that was good. That taught me certain things, but they, they could have delivered it in a different way. Like, it, sure, it taught me, like, I could hear screaming and yelling and filter that out and just take the message, but I could have gotten the message if they just talked to me, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to adapt to do that because that was their style. 
doesn't mean that was the best way. So, uh, and how many, yeah. how many, how many of them do you f with right still to this day? No, no, don't talk there to any go. of those coaches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't think they cared about me. Like, yeah, right. And they may not have, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they may, they yeah. may not have. Yeah. But that was, it, but it wasn't a different time, and I don't fault them for that either. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I think we have improved uh, coaching across the board. I think you see less and less of those at the college ranks too, like the just the yellers and the screamers on the side. Uh, yeah, I think it's evolved for the right direction. I mean, a, a little bit. I've been to a few coaches. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. That's true. Because you know, because these—that's the difference, and that's why I don't, you know, have any aspirations to coach in college. One, because it's such a late start. You know, if you were to coach, start coaching at college right now, my age—it's a long, it's a long process to get to where you want to get to. But every single one of those games, there's just way more stress because your job is dependent on it. At the high school level, your job isn't depending on winning. Your job is dependent on molding these kids and, you know, helping them through this high school process. And if the wins come along with it, it's great. But, you know, you, if you lose a game, it's not like, oh, I got I to gotta worry about my job, you know? Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know, you touched on it earlier. That's, it, it's a stressful job just by the nature of it and that your resume is out there for everybody to see. You're also dealing with 18 to 22 year olds like that. That is what you have to work with every day. That is that's not the most stable population group. <laughs> like, yeah, men or women. Like things change on a dime. Like somebody yeah. goes out on a Saturday night, you just lost your best player. Like that can just happen every day. So, right. uh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's and that's the that's the crazy part about it too. You're so reliant on so many other people, and when you think about all right, if let's just say we were working out, let's just say we we're both out of shape. We're not because we work out all the time, but let's just say we we're out of shape and you you worked out every single day for a whole year. You did eight right, you ate clean, you uh, you know had enough protein in your diet, you took the right supplements for your body, and you worked out every single day. And let's just say you were 250 pounds at the time. You're going to see small results over time, over time, over time. But the thing with a basketball coach is you're not really guaranteed that anything is, is given, no matter how much work you put in. And that's the difficult part. And I think that's one of the reasons why coaches internalize all these games is because I have put so much time, energy, and effort to watching this film, putting this scouting report together, getting our team prepared, going over everything that can potentially happen in this game or the things that might not even happen in this game. And really, does it all really matter that we've done all this stuff if the other team is just way better? No, it doesn't. But you still have to do that because you have to give yourself the best chance. And that's the hard part about it because you can't really quantify the amount of time that you spend doing this. And so when you lose something, when you lose a game, that's really difficult, and that's why we have, my my theory is that's why we put so much pressure undue to our circumstance based on all the amount of time that you put in. Yeah, that's our nature. Again, that's why I think anybody that's that's coached and seen any level of success, you can go into a number of other areas and be successful. I mean, knock on wood. We'll see how this business goes over the next couple of months. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we are we are that way. Like. It, 
when you're coaching and you came up as a player, like you, you're always scrapping for that edge and you're willing to put in the extra time to get there. Uh, and that eventually that leads to success. Doesn't mean you're not going to have some failures, but um, it does. And I think there's just a, there's a level of self-respect that we have, like, you know, the discipline that we have at this age when it's hard to just get out of bed to go and work out every day. Like, just to look yourself in the mirror and feel good about who you're seeing every day. There's a certain level of effort that you got to put in. Yep. And then, um, damn, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I was listening to you. So that's the one thing about, that's the one thing about the podcast is like you, when you're talking, you're trying to listen, but then you, there's things that you want to like piggyback on, but you yep. don't want to cut the other person off. So, uh, <laughs> So, uh, so now, so you decided to get out of coaching and then move to Colorado. What sparked that move? And then tell everybody what you're doing now, because you are starting a new business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we moved. Uh, when I got out of coaching at Irvine, we moved back up to the Bay. Uh, my dad's health was failing. So um, luckily, I've got an amazing wife. Like she didn't hesitate at all to to jump up. We were living in a 600 square foot uh kind of studio outside of my parents house um with a, a one-year-old i don't even know if she was one when we moved back up there um and helping take care of my dad uh and as soon as he passed we just kind of wanted to do something different get out of california um washington made a lot more sense one of my best friends was up there at the time i'd had family up there my whole life um and i had a old college buddy that was out in colorado we came out to visit Colorado just gets more sunshine than Washington, man. I can't handle that gray weather. I'm, I'm solar powered. So uh, we made the jump, came out here. Um, yeah, was fortunate to find a good job out here that with just some amazing people, similar to coaching, like just didn't feel like work for the four, first four years. And then uh, they made some leadership changes and uh, I didn't have any respect for the person who came in. And that, that turned real quick into something that was uh, stressing me out. And I was just kind of at the at the age and point in my career where I was like, I don't, I don't really need to deal with this. I can go figure out something else. Um, again, my wife was all on board and uh, said, yeah, go ahead and quit. I did about four weeks later, that whole department got vaporized because <laughs> everything I've been trying to say about that leader, they were now gone. And uh, so everybody got a little payout and I did not. So I don't know, word of advice, maybe hang on if you can, but uh, I don't regret the decision at this time. Uh, Oh, and just started goodness. looking for what was next. Uh, it started looking. Um, I had a franchise broker that kind of reached out to me based on my my history. Um, and started chatting with them and probably looked at thirty or forty different franchises. Uh, and this one Zavell that I'm going with um, does performance recovery, so it's cryotherapy, cryoscan, saunas, triflow beds, um, uh, yeah, and compression and oxygen and. Um, you know, that's all stuff that I've been familiar with in my time of coaching and uh, talked with the guy who started it up. He'd been a physical therapist for 20 years and uh, just really wanted to figure out a way to help more people um, than one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, just kind of went off the, uh, on a tangent looking up how we could kind of uh, build out places and build this franchise that could just help more people feel good, get healthy. And, uh, you know, obviously that aligned with my values and so yeah, hopefully uh, in April we'll be about the tenth that opens in the nation, and they're looking to open uh, twenty or thirty more this next year alone. So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But uh, let me get the uh, licensee agreement for South Bay area. 
Yeah, he's so he already said he's not doing anything in California unless somebody wants to buy the rights to all of California just because of the legislation out there and how hard it is on businesses. So, oh, really? uh, but we'll see. We'll see if that changes. <laughs> yeah. So, is it an infrared sauna or? Um... Yep. Yeah. Infrared so, what's sauna. the major differences between like this uh, naturally heated sauna versus infrared? Are there are there any differences? And if so, what are they? Yeah, supposedly, at least the you know studies show that uh, better for your skin stimulates kind of the cardiovascular health a little bit more uh, than your regular sauna. So you're not just forcing like sweat. We all grew up thinking, right, I go sit in the sauna, I get a good sweat, and that's how I get everything out. What we're finding is that like the actual sweat, you're not really releasing a lot of toxins that way. That's not how your body gets rid of it. So you're just kind of dehydrating. Um uh, it's about 2% of what you might pass otherwise comes out when you're sweating that way. So the infrared sauna, you're still going to get a sweat, but it kind of heats you up inside, gets your blood flowing a lot better on the inside. It helps you pass those toxins a lot easier. Good for your skin, hair, stress, all that stuff. But the, but the not regular sauna is not bad for you. It's just the infrared no. sauna may have some other benefits too. Because yep. there was some, there was some like a lot of studies that talk about um, – like in uh, not maybe Norway or so or Sweden or something like that, and these people that have is well, listen, I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but the, <laughs> the premise is the people that did these saunas lived a lot longer and a much more fulfilled, healthier lifestyle when they did it. And so I started doing the sauna. Um, yep. We just we just signed up for the courtside club in Los Gatos, so yeah. I go I do that at least three times a week, if not yep. um, four, if I can. Um, and once the season ends, I might probably be doing it every day. Um, yeah. And then I I looked at getting Amanda. Uh, she works for the infrared sauna spot Delgado. Yep. Who, who you hooked me up with uh, to do my social media back in the day? Yep. Um, so she works at one of those places. So I looked at trying to get one of those for the house, but you know, five grand for the infrared sauna. Like, do we really need it? I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I did get a I did get a cold cold tub, but I can't. I haven't I haven't put it up yet because it's, it's like super rainy here. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that this spring. So, but uh, like, what's the difference between the cold tub and the cryotherapy too? So that's the, that's the thing I'm most excited about. Um, and I've only done it once when I went out to the shop in Utah. Um, and it's just, I mean, the number one thing, and I think, uh, you know, the science, the reports say that you're getting um, all the benefits, if not more, from just walking into the cryo chamber. You only got to do about two and a half, three minutes because uh, you're getting your skin temp down. Same thing. A lot of reduced inflammation is the main one, but reduce stress, you're kind of firing up all your internal organ as the blood comes through. So you're pumping a lot more oxygen out to your body once you come out of that. They're seeing that the benefits last for about 24 hours afterwards. So a lot of the same stuff is jumping in an ice bath. Honestly, the biggest thing is you don't have to get in an ice bath. Like right. it's, a, it's a path to those benefits without sitting in some cold water. Right. Um, I can't other, stand that. Oh, oh man. Yeah, cold water. And I do think that, you know, we had conversations about this when I was in training because I think there's a big piece to just the mental toughness of jumping in that that tub. Um, yeah. But physiologically, you're getting all the same benefits for going into this thing. The, the big thing for like athletes is that maybe you're doing two a days or you're lifting in the morning, you're doing practice in the afternoon or something. You don't want to do a lift or a practice and jump into an ice tub. You're pretty much done for the day because you've you've 
contracted everything in your body, right? You've, you've cooled down your blood going through. Cryo, you could jump in and get the benefits for helping your muscles recover, reducing inflammation. And in another 45 minutes, you can go play ball or go work out or whatever you need to. So a little more efficient. How often should somebody uh, do the cryotherapy or um, the heat heat shock therapy? Yeah, I mean, daily, really. Like there's there's no negative effects from jumping in more often. Uh, you know, obviously with the sauna, you got to make sure that you're staying hydrated. Uh, but yeah, with cryo, you, you could go in there twice a day, every day if you wanted. And then have you heard of the red light therapy too? Yeah, that's one I I don't know a ton about. I know the person uh, that started Zavell is looking at possibly adding that. Um, I think it's something we talked about early on uh, when before we'd even signed on. Um, and in his opinion, there wasn't enough science enough about it. He kind of thought it was a fad. And I think he's kind of changing his mindset on that. So uh, we'll see where it goes over the next couple of months. But I don't I don't know much about it. Yeah, I heard it tightens up your skin and um, things like that. Kind of rejuvenates your re- rejuvenates all the the skin tissue and stuff like that. But again, yeah. this is this is stuff that I hear a third party on these podcasts or things yep. like that. Yep. Uh, that you just start to think they're facts, but um, you know everybody's body works different, so you have to find yep. out what works for you. So exactly. I might actually look to find a, a cryo place here because. Sounds like your company's not coming to California at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, why would you when you when you look at the way the restrictions were for businesses during COVID, and if there was a situation like that again, uh, you know, hopefully people wouldn't act so hastily, or they thought they were doing the right thing, but when it was clear that it wasn't the right thing, you know, we have to try to get back to real business pretty quickly, you know, to to and you know obviously people people died and things like that a lot of people did um and a lot of people got it but at the same time it wasn't the dem- it wasn't the majority of the people's you know less than 1% and so to take away and i see it now cuz we do these interviews for school for the incoming ninth graders and some of them are on top of it but a lot of them really aren't they're not really equipped to have a face to face conversation with an adult yep. because their whole sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, year, or actually when they're, when they were fifth graders, yeah, they were fifth, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. Now they're in eighth grade getting ready to go to high school. So those are really prime years that they missed out on, on their different activities as well as just interpersonal relationships and things like that. Um, So yeah, a lot, a lot of these kids are behind with all that. Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a long time before we fully understand the negative impacts of of COVID and and, and that shutdown and, and what it did. Just the, you know, my wife's a nurse and uh, just the mental health side of things that they were seeing with people and, and that we continue to see now. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's our focus that we've talked about for most of this podcast is, is what drives us and fills us up or it's human connection. And uh, us as humans, that's it's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're meant to do. And when you take that away, I think a lot of people um, lose their balance. For sure. Um, and so you're going to start with one location to start and remind me the name of it. Yeah, Zavel, Z-I-V-E-L. Gotcha. And you guys will be yep. in the greater um, the Colorado area, which, which yeah. how, many, how many locations Which's, do you guys have? 
we're just south of Denver. Um, well, yeah, we're going to start with one and hopefully if I can get in the black in the first four to six months, we'll start looking at a second one. Uh, there's another couple that's opening one in Highlands Ranch, which is near us. Um, and they've already bought a second location. So we're the only ones in Colorado right now. And uh, yeah, hoping we can spread it and, and help people out across the state. And how do you go about marketing something like this, which is probably novel to the community? Yeah, a lot of it is uh, Instagram, Facebook, social media. We'll do a little bit of Google ads, but um, I'm opening up right next to a Fierce 45 gym and uh, and I'm in kind of a residential area. And um, I'm hoping that most of my marketing takes place just word of mouth. And the beautiful thing about it is that everything is running machines. There's not a lot of overhead with staffing or anything like that. So um, as I'm getting going, I can just give services away. Um, and that's, that's the plan. Just get people in, check it out and, um, let the results speak for themselves. People are finding, finding that it helps them out. They'll come back. Right. So what should I be doing right now? Uh, is my body is always sore every day. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like sore, sore every day. I mean, it's funny cause, uh, uh, well, I have this hot, we, but Maddie and I both put a hot pack on our back every night and, <laughs> Mine, mine like has these straps that wraps around my neck and then it goes the length of my back and we just sit <laughs> there and she starts laughing at me but she's brushing her teeth the other night. I was like, yeah, I was like, what's your night routine looking like? <laughs> Man, you, you thought, you what are you, how old are you right now? 41. Yeah, okay, you, we close, I knew you were close. I, I was probably in the last year or two where I feel like I've really started to feel it. Like I get up out of bed and it's, it's hard stumbling towards the bathroom in the middle of the night, man. My ankles don't work right. Like <laughs> everything's got to get warmed up. So I don't know, I'm, I'm helping the cryo helps with me a lot for that. But uh, the main thing is just stay after it, man. Keep moving. It doesn't get any easier. Like I still play ball every Sunday. I'm on the Peloton a couple times a week. I'm on Tonal a couple times a week. And what I think I've been most intentional about over the last two years is really adding stretching in. Like, I try not to do a workout unless I follow it up with some stretching. I try to do some stretching at night if I'm starting to feel tight uh, before I go to bed. And like, that's what seems to help the most. Uh, but it's also kind of a, a double-edged sword because I feel like then if I go two, three days without stretching, I feel worse than I ever have in my life. So I don't know. You just, just got to keep after it, I guess. Yeah. Keep moving. Uh, my coach in uh, at Chico, Mad Dogmatic, uh, I mean, that dude would sleep like four hours a night, sleep on the couch, eat pizza. But his his whole thing was just just break a sweat every day. Uh, and I tried to. That's the best thing for my mood. It's the best thing for my body. I'm I'm built to keep moving because, man, if I sit down and, and take a week off, like everything hurts even more. <laughs> yeah, every every day I, I do something. Um, you know, I don't really try to take days off. Even if I take a day off, it's like a long walk or something yeah. like that where you might not be stressed uh, on your body. So um, yep. work at everybody, follow all the great things that you're doing and you'll, whenever you come back to California, we'll have to have you in the studio. Absolutely. I look forward to it, my man. I love seeing the creative mind sweatshirt too. I know you've been working on that. Yeah, it's it's coming soon. Probably drop after the season sometime in April. So you'll be seeing me rocking the new merch out. Uh, Creative Minds brand coming soon to everybody. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you and everything like that? 
Yeah, right now we don't even have our social media up. We're looking for an April 2nd start date, but uh, search Savelle on Instagram if you want to start finding out what it's about. Uh, so there's about 10 locations open, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, Florida has one, um, Colorado should open in the next two months. Um, so yeah, Zavelle.com, Z-I-V-E-L. Uh, we're the Cherry Hills location when we do open, and that that's already on the website. So uh, yeah, check them out. That's dope. Stay on after the outro, but you want to know what is really great? Of course I do. This outro. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Buckets podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share the show with your friends. And until next time, take care.